good to be with you tonight. We have uh, some visiting with us from other places, and it's good that you've taken the time to come out and encourage the brethren here at this place. It's an encouragement to me to uh, be able to, to study and to spend time with those who have an interest in spiritual matters. As time goes on, it seems that those who have such an interest are fewer and fewer in number. And so what a blessing it is to be able to come to a place like this during the week, sing songs of praise to God, and pray to our Heavenly Father and study His Word. I do not take for granted your sacrifice in being here tonight. I know that everyone had something with which to deal in order to make it here this evening, and, and I appreciate that. You worked hard today. Uh, some of you are stay-at-home moms. You worked even harder today. I know what that is from not experience, but hearing quite frequently how hard that work is. I, I tell you, I, we've, uh, I've mentioned several times our, our little bundle of joy, Levi, who I do call the surprise of 2006. I know that at some point I'm going to have to stop saying that. He's going he's to start understanding and, and thinking that, uh, well, he might think something that he shouldn't think. But, uh, you know, we, we've, we've been going through all the parental things with an infant and now a toddler, and we kind of sit and look at each other every now and, and every now and then and, and just sort of ask, was it like this with the other two? You know, you just sort of forget what it's like to have small children. And so we appreciate those who have small children, and we appreciate the sacrifice that's involved in, in coming to church. I, I try not to be too long-winded for that reason. I don't always succeed. And, and there again, my wife's real good at, at letting me know when I fail. She, uh, she has asked me on more than one occasion, whatever happened to those 20-minute Franklin sermons you used to preach. And uh, I'm not sure why uh, I can't keep it to 20 or 25 minutes like I used to. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll do all we can tonight to uh, provide you with enough edification to uh, leave here somewhat inspired, but, but at the same time take into consideration that, that you can only endure so much. And, and I, I'll never forget the first sermon I ever preached was in a Coleman at the 4th Street Church, and the preacher's wife came up to me afterward. I was 18, recently obeyed the gospel, and she said, Mike, you just need to remember something as a preacher. Your, your sermons do not have to be eternal in order to be immortal. And uh, that's, that's kind of stuck with me. And again, I don't always succeed at that. But Thank you for coming. We're going to continue our, our series now on the subject of angels. And I appreciate your interest in this subject. It's a, a subject that, I, as I've said before, I, I, I presented this series 12 years ago, July of 96. Kelly, used to be Singleton, forgive me for not knowing your last name, uh, brought her notebook tonight and showed me where she took notes as a, as a teenager uh, on this series of lessons. And I'm embarrassed to say, but I looked at those notes and it's the exact same thing I preached 12 years ago. So uh, 
I think I may have added some thoughts to this, but for the most part, it is it is the same. But it's been 12 years, so hopefully you've, you've forgotten enough that you'll uh, benefit from, from our time together this evening. We're going to study the, the, the activities of, of angels tonight, as well as tomorrow night, and there will be some repetition. You will recall some of the points that we've already made. As we look at the material this evening, you'll remember some of the things that have been said that I'll be reemphasizing, but I'm also going to be adding some thoughts even to those points of repetition. So I'll ask you to bear with me as, as we move through the material together. Bearing in mind once again that the angels are identified in the Scriptures as ministering spirits, and they were sent out by God to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. And that speaks to me, and that speaks to you. And that motivates me to want to learn more about these, these spiritual beings. The first point I want to make, and again, this is repetition. As we study through the Scriptures, and we noted last evening in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, God placed an angel, or a, a cherubim specifically, in Genesis chapter 3, at the entrance to the garden. But in Revelation chapter 21, I think it's interesting that we also see angels once again guarding the entrance to paradise. And as we, as we make the connection between these two verses, let's ask ourselves the question, what is God seeking to communicate here? And I want to emphasize that as we look at these verses in the book of Revelation, we have to understand that there's a lot of symbolism. God's communicating a message, and he's doing it with figurative language. We, we can't take this too literally. In fact, going back to Genesis chapter 3, thinking about that angel stationed there at the entrance to paradise to prevent Adam and Eve from going back in. I'm not really sure, in my mind, that what that would mean is that they could possibly have re-entered the Garden of Eden. I think maybe God was simply letting us know something in putting that angel there, and even more specifically, in giving us a record of it. And I base that statement upon what I see here in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. In verse 12 of Revelation chapter 21, John, seeing this vision, and I believe this is a vision of heaven, he said that it had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates there were 12 angels, and names were written on them, which are those of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. And again, this is obviously figurative language. It is to symbolize or it is to signify the redeemed of God. But here these, these angels are being placed by God at those gates. In this same chapter, in verse 25, And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Now look at verse 27. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
this passage indicates that, that the angels are very concerned about God's dwelling place. They are concerned that that place be kept holy. I believe when you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you combine what is said there with what we learn here in Revelation chapter 21, the message that God is communicating is that His dwelling place is a, is a place of holiness. And unrighteousness cannot dwell therein. And so God is stationing these angelic beings. He is positioning them such that no abominations of the nations will be allowed to enter in to paradise. And I think what that says to us, what we are learning from these angels is that God, again, is a holy God and that in order for us to have fellowship with Him, and especially eternal fellowship with God, we cannot, we cannot be but a holy people. God expects us to be different as He is different. He expects us to live a distinctive lifestyle. He expects me to protect my mind. He wants me to keep my mind holy. He wants me to keep it pure. He wants me to guard it. I am the temple of God. I am God's dwelling place. Am I as concerned about keeping out unholiness as my fellow servants, the angels, are in the paradise of Genesis 3 and the paradise of Revelation chapter 21? We also see, as we noted last night, that angels wage spiritual warfare. We looked at Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, and we noted that there was spiritual warfare behind the scenes that occurred upon the death of Christ. And what is being signified in these particular verses, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, is the defeat of Satan in the resurrection of Christ. But there's something else here that I want you to see. And this is something that has... a significant impact upon our lives. In this same chapter, beginning at verse 13, we see that Satan is going to continue to wage war with the church. Notice in verse 13, beginning. And when the dragon, that is the devil, saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The woman, earlier in the chapter, I believe represented Israel through whom the Messiah would come. But as the, ch the chapter transitions, the woman comes to signify the church, the redeemed under the new covenant of God. Verse 14, And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. The message God is communicating to those who are being persecuted by the Roman Empire, is that now Satan continues to carry out warfare against the church. He's been defeated. He was defeated at the cross. He was defeated in the resurrection of Jesus. But he's not out. He's going to continue to wage war with the redeemed of God. Verse 15, And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. 
But then we see in verse 16, again, God's providential care and concern. The earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. Verse 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now let me ask you the question. Where do you fit into all of that? Where do we, in, in the year 2008, fit into all of this? Well, let me tell you what, what I believe. I believe that, again, God is telling Christians of the first century, you're going to suffer persecution. The Roman Empire, under the rule of the Romans, you will be persecuted. But my kingdom will stand. That kingdom will be overthrown, but my kingdom will stand. Historically, we know that became a reality. But this enraged the devil. This enraged the dragon. This this enraged the serpent of old. And he went off to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's us. That's us. Satan continues to wage war with the elect of God. Now, let's, let's pull our minds back to the subject at hand, and that is the, the activity or the work of, uh, of angels. In Ephesians chapter 6, and you don't have to go there because we looked at that particular passage last, last evening, but we noted where Paul said that our struggle is not with flesh and blood. It is not with things physical. It is with things spiritual. And then he made reference to the, the powers and the principalities, the, the world forces of darkness. And again, I believe that is satanic activity that is being referred to in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And that influences you and I. There are forces at work, and there always will be until the Lord returns. There are forces that are at work against God's children. I will tell you something. We need to be mindful of that. We don't need to be oblivious to the fact that Satan is enraged with the church. He's mad. He's angry. He wants to destroy us, and he wants to destroy you. He wants to see your soul burn in hell. And yet here we have these angels that are behind the scenes waging warfare with Satan and his demons. In the book of James chapter 4 and verse 7, we see the statement made, Submit, therefore, to God, and then, James writes, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want you to think about that for a moment. How does that happen? I find strength through the Word of God. I find strength through the prayers of the saints. And when I resist the devil on the basis of that strength, the devil flees from me. The devil turns away and he runs. There is something going on 
in the spiritual domain. When I exercise my intellect, when I engage my faith, and when I draw closer to God, that causes that to occur. John said, or John heard in the book of Revelation, an angel say, we are fellow servants together. The more we learn about angels, the more we come to see that they not only have an interest in our salvation, but they desire it. They are working with us. And I just want to suggest to you that our prayers, the exercise of our faith, the bolstering of our our fortitude in, in serving God, I believe all of this could activate God's providence and that God's providence could work its, it, its way out in our lives by means of these ministering spirits, these angels who, again, are, are working with us, but working behind the scenes and waging war with the armies of the devil, the opposition. We also see, based upon our study of Scripture, that angels rule among nations. Now, that might be something that you've not thought about before, so just just bear with me. First, I want you to notice with me in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, when Paul was preaching to the Athenians in his what has come to be known as his Sermon on Mars Hill, he is making known to them the one true God. And he says of this God in Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 that he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. God is at work in the rise and fall of nations. He determines how long they will exist, and he determines the boundaries of their habitation. We saw in our study last evening, in the book of Daniel, where Michael, the archangel, as well as other angels were involved in the political affairs that occurred and were occurring and would occur after the time of Daniel. That's Daniel chapter 10. And again, I'm not going to ask you to go back as we spent a good bit of time last evening reading those verses. We also saw that Michael was described as the prince of the Israelites. He was a, an angel who was given special charge over that particular nation. You know, it can't be stated, stated with certainty how the angels rule among nations. Perhaps it would be correct to conclude that they are agents of God's providence as he carries out his will in the affairs of men. In the book of Daniel, the fourth chapter, we will take a moment to look at that passage. In Daniel chapter 4, we see where, based upon an experience, a very interesting statement is made concerning God's sovereignty. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17. By the way, this is, uh, you look back up at verse 13. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. So this is a, a messenger, a servant, 
being sent from God with this message. And in verse 17, it is stated that this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. This was a, a lesson that Nebuchadnezzar came to learn from firsthand experience. God's in control. God is in charge. He, he raises up world leaders and then he brings them down. We also see again in the book of Daniel where God is directing the affairs of the nations. You put all this together, and what do you see? You see the activity of angels in bringing about the rise and the fall of nations. Now, if you struggle with the concept or the idea of angels ruling among nations, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 2 not the first time that, that you've heard that expression if you've ever read the book of Revelation. In the second chapter of the book of Revelation, verse 26, Jesus said that he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with the rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. And what Jesus is saying is that if you will be faithful, if you will maintain your faith in me, then you will someday rule with me. You will someday be with me. So it's not a stretch then to imagine the angels working with God, working in heaven, working behind the scenes, again as we saw last evening in Daniel chapter 10, the angels working in some way, ruling among the nations. And I would encourage you, if you, didn't, if you were not here last evening, to go back and, and read the 10th chapter of, of the book of Daniel. I just think that's a, a fascinating chapter. Fourth area in which we see angels at work is in the execution of judgment. In the 19th chapter of the book of Genesis, God sent angels both to warn of and execute judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at Genesis 19, verse 12, beginning. And again, we're all familiar with the fact that God sent these angels to Abraham first and then to Lot to warn him of the impending doom of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But I want you to notice also in these verses where the angels played a role in the execution of that judgment. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 12, beginning, the men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? And, he said, A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whoever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about, we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So the angels were not only sent to pronounce judgment, they were sent to execute judgment. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, God also used an angel to execute his judgment against David when the Israelite king sinfully numbered the people. Again, that's a story that you're familiar with. But I want you to look at the passage where it is stated that the angel 
of the Lord was involved in the execution of this judgment. In verse 15 of 2 Samuel chapter 24, So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. Verse 16, When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity. The angel was involved in the execution of God's judgment. We saw last evening also in Matthew chapter 13, in the parable of the tares and the wheat, where the angels were involved in the separation and the, and the taking out of the tares from among the wheat, the wheat. In the book of Revelation, angels played a role in, in God's revelation to John concerning the judgment that was about to come against the mighty Roman Empire. And we see those angels involved in the execution of that judgment as well. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 17, beginning. And again, I realize there's, there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation, but I think that there's some, some significance behind the message that's being communicated in terms of the activity of the angels. Verse 17, And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and, and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. But again, the point that we're making here is that, that the angels are involved not only in the pronouncing of God's judgment, but they are involved in the execution of that judgment as well. Here's a familiar point, but there's a couple of things I want to add to it. Angels minister to the saints. I want you to look at, look at chapter 1 of Hebrews. We've, we've been quoting that verse all week. I want you to look at it and read it and notice something. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Who is the author of this book addressing? He is addressing Jews. He is addressing Hebrews. And in verse 14, a question is asked. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? What kind of question is that? What kind of question is that? It's a rhetorical question. Are they not all Ministering spirits, are they not all ministering spirits? It's a rhetorical question. What you see in that is something that I wish I had. I see an understanding on the part of those to whom this letter was written about angels, about God's work, an understanding such that the question was rhetorical in nature. The author was basing his point upon something that was readily accepted and understood by them. Now, do we have that level of understanding? 
is the question rhetorical in nature with respect to you and I? As is the case in several areas concerning these supernatural beings, it cannot be stated with certainty how angels minister to the saints. Perhaps they are agents of God as He works providentially in our lives. Providence is one of those biblical concepts that becomes more real to you as you grow older. Because you look back on your life and you see providence. And it's difficult sometimes to see providence until you actually experience it. But you look back and you see how God has worked in your life. You see, decisions that you made that at the time you thought maybe it was not the right decision. You, you see experiences that at the time you, you did not understand. But older, you look back and you do understand. And you see why God did what he did. Why he refused to give you what it was you asked for. You begin to have an understanding. Well, how does all that happen? How does God work to bring about his providence? We don't, we don't really know, do we? We don't always have understanding of that area. But if angels are ministering spirits, and, and if we see where throughout the history of man they have been at work in helping those who would inherit salvation, it might be that they are the agents of God's Providence. I, I list several verses here for your consideration. I believe most of us believe in providence. And I think if you're like I am, you want to know more about it. But I think we'll probably go to the grave not understanding everything about God's providence. And I'm not suggesting in all of this that, that we pray to angels. I don't believe that. I pray to God through Jesus Christ. But I'm not going to limit how God works in my life. I'm not going to put God in a box and say, well, he can only do this. I get a little bit nervous when I hear people make statements like that. God works providentially. I have absolute faith and confidence and trust in that. Why would I pray if God didn't work providentially? Why would I even waste my time praying? Just to let God know something that he already knows? No, it's because I want God to act. I want God to be moved by my prayer. I want him to intervene providentially in my life. I pray every day that God will keep my children safe. I pray every day that God will protect them from harm and evil. How does he do that? There's got to be some mechanism that God uses to keep my children safe. I believe the mechanism is providence. And I'm not going to say that God does not use angels in the execution and the carrying out of that providence. Because if they are ministering spirits, if they are serving me, then I believe that it just might be true that that's one of the ways that they do it. Let's move on. Angels praise God. We, we've seen that before in the passages that we have before us. I'm not going to read those again. 
But I, I just want to I just want to challenge you to think about what it is you do when you come to this building. Worship is a response. It is a response to what God has done for us. How do we improve our worship? We discuss that quite often, don't we? Well, we're going to rearrange the order of our services. At the end of the day, have we really improved our worship with that? I want to tell you something. The way you improve your worship is to improve your response to what God has done for you. And that is predicated upon the knowledge that is in your mind of God. Be like the angels. Be like the angels who see the holiness of God, who see the majesty of God, who see the, the greatness of God. Listen to them as they sing, Holy, holy, holy. Think about the concept that they have of God being so close to Him. And let's, let's have that in our mind as, as we come together and as, as we engage in acts of worship. That's how we make our worship better. That's how we improve it. It's, it's not based upon some, some order or some, some, some mechanical something that we do. It's based upon the person that we bring to this building. It's based upon the, the character and, and the essence of our heart. We also have seen in, in Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 22, where the angel strengthened Christ during his time of trial. Now, I don't think we can necessarily take from that that the angels would, would strengthen us. We, we can't say that with certainty. However, 1 Peter chapter 5, let's look at that passage. 1 Peter chapter 5, and notice what Peter wrote. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, beginning. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. How do you do that? You resist him by making yourself stronger, firming your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who, who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I know that God wants me to be strong. I know that God wants to, to strengthen me in trial. And I see some connection here between resisting Satan and being strengthened by God. Perhaps one aspect, one dimension of that spiritual warfare of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 is impacted through the prayers of the saints. Those who pray for my strength, those who are asking God to help me to be a stronger person. And again, I believe I can be strengthened as a result of the spiritual activities that are taking place and that are beyond my view this side of eternity. In the book of Acts, we see where angels led a sinner to a preacher of the gospel. In Acts, the eighth chapter, we have the account of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And in verse 26, it's interesting to note that an angel of the Lord 
spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. God sent an angel to direct Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. In the visions of Cornelius in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, we see in those visions angels at work as well in bringing Peter to the household of Cornelius. Now, I do want to emphasize that even though an angel was used in bringing the gospel worker into contact with the alien sinner, the angel was not allowed to preach the gospel. Paul said that God put the gospel in earthen vessels, not heavenly vessels, not angelic bodies, but earthly bodies. God gave us that responsibility. But what can I learn? from the fact that we have examples here, record here, of the angels being involved in bringing the preacher to the lost. I think, once again, that they could possibly be agents of God's providence, assisting God in working out His plan of salvation. How many of us have heard amazing stories of those who have been converted to the gospel by an unusual sequence of events that brought a gospel preacher or a child of God, someone that had the, the truth, to one who was looking for it. How does all of that happen? I believe that if there is someone who is looking for the truth, God will order events such that someone with the truth will find their way to that lost sinner. Here again, we see examples in, in the book of Acts where God used angels to bring those together, the one with the truth to the sinner. And, and I'm not going to limit God and say that he could not use angels behind the scenes as ministering spirits, as agents of providence to bring that about. I'm going to stop right here. I've got several more points that I want to share with you tomorrow night, but, but that, that'll be enough for this evening. I, I, these are some challenging thoughts, and, and I'm not going to say, even though I've been announced as an expert on angels, I am not. It's been 12 years since I've studied this, and I just want to challenge you. If, if you take nothing else away from this lesson, this series of lessons, whether you agree with some of the points I make or not, I just want you to open your, open your eyes to that unseen world. Open your eyes to that unseen world and motivate yourself to learn more about it. Because I believe it is in that unseen world that so many things are occurring that affect us here on this earth. And it draws me to it. Because I know that it is in that place where someday we will be with God. These thoughts are yours.